For the past several years, there's been a movement towards eating locally grown and organic foods. This movement was started by individuals that not only want to know what is going into their body, but also have a deep respect for the land we live on and our resources. As these individuals research and dig deeper to find the best sources for their food, they are finding out that hunting is much more than killing wild animals for an adrenaline rush. They are finding that it's one of the best ways to feed their passion for an organic lifestyle. My guest today, Josh Dalkey, talks about hunting for the purpose of killing your own food, the importance of understanding where your food comes from, his suggestion for how to get started as a hunter, and the experience of butchering, packaging, and eating wild game. Welcome to Activate the Hunt, helping you master the skill of hunting. If you're a new hunter who's just getting started, or you've been hunting for a while, but want to learn new tips, tactics, and information to help you become a better hunter, this podcast is for you. Get ready to Activate the Hunt. Welcome to Episode 3 of Activate the Hunt Podcast. My name is Colin Cottrell. I'm your host. If you're new to the podcast, I want to welcome you. Whether you're a new hunter who's just getting started or you've been hunting for a while but want to learn more and become a better hunter, you're listening to the right podcast. I interview some of the best hunters and hunting ambassadors there is and ask them the questions that will help all of us learn hunting tips, tactics, and information. I have a few things I want to mention before we get into our interview this week with Josh Dahlke. First things first, don't forget to join our Facebook group. It's called Activate the Hunt digital campfire. This is a free online community where you can talk to other hunters, ask hunting related questions, share your own hunting tips and stories, and so much more. This community will provide great value to all of you, no matter if you're a beginning hunter or you've been hunting for years. You don't want to miss out on the conversations we're having in this group. Make sure you join right away at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash activate the hunt. Also, to celebrate the launch of this podcast, I teamed up with Bowhunter Box Club and Acubo to launch an Instagram giveaway last week. As promised, I will announce the winners of the giveaway on the podcast today. That will come later in the show. So stick around and find out if you're a winner. All right, this is another awesome interview this week. Josh, who grew up in a mostly urban area of the Twin Cities in Minnesota, was raised by parents who didn't hunt. Eventually, he ventured out to the family farm in rural north-central Minnesota and was introduced to hunting by his uncles. He quickly found a passion for hunting wild food, which has continued to grow and evolve over the years. Today, Josh is extremely passionate about hunting and creating valuable digital content for his online hunting show, The Hunger. But he's even more passionate about helping people understand the benefits of hunting. In this show, Josh will talk about the connection hunters have with the animals they kill and the organic food that comes from those animals the importance of having appreciation for everything in the outdoors, the experience of butchering, packaging, and eating wild game, and so much more. I know you're going to get a lot of value from this interview. Thanks for joining the show today, Josh. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. Uh, How's it going, man? Colin, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to hear about this project that you've got going, and I think Activate the Hunt is, everything behind it is a a very important message that needs to get out there, not just to, not just to preach into the choir, obviously, but getting it out, getting the word out about hunting and everything that hunting is all about and what it always has been about since the beginning of mankind. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. And it's, you know, it's become not only a passion, but it's become my purpose. 
it, it wouldn't feel right for me not to share what I believe about hunting and and get people like you on this podcast to share what you truly believe about hunting. It's not just about big antlers. It's not just about the kill. There's so much more to it. And I think we need to share that message far and wide because things are changing in our world. Things are changing around us quickly. And if we don't, you know, voice our opinions, you know, it could be the end of what we truly love, which is hunting. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the beauty of, uh, even though it's somewhat contradictory to the, the core of what we live for, that's the beauty of technology is to be able to, to get this word out in ways that can reach people in in so many different ways and more targeted fashions and actually use technology for something positive for once. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how you grew up and where you grew up. Uh, I know you grew up in Cent- uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I grew up in central Minnesota, so a few hours from there, but I did go to school in the Twin Cities, just outside of the Twin Cities. Talk about, you know, you growing up in the, in the Twin Cities area and, you know, how you got introduced to hunting. Yeah. So I grew up in, uh, South St. Paul, which is a suburb of St. Paul. It's kind of a small, really more so of a small town feel to it, even though it is a, a Twin Cities suburb, um, really big hockey town and uh, sports and they're a big sense of community. It's kind of gone down the tubes over the years, but while I was still there, that's that's really how it was. And um, well, my parents had me when they were in high school, when they're 17 years old. And quite frankly, I was a, I was a mistake. Weren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm lucky they... Uh, they went through with the, the process to put me on the earth because I'm happy to be here. But uh, no, I, I grew up, I did grow up more in a suburban and urban environment, but um, coincidentally, my uncles, um, my, my grandpa didn't hunt, so their father didn't hunt, but their great uncle hunted. So, um, you know, my grandma's brother introduced both of my uncles to hunting, and then as, as, a, as I was a kid, you know, I was... I think I was always sort of innately bored with day-to-day monotonous routines that everybody else was doing. And I saw my uncles coming and going, doing this hunting thing. And I was super intrigued by it from, from the very first time I can remember them packing up their gear and heading up north to go deer hunt. Yeah, that was kind of the the next thing I was going to mention is, you know, we always, growing up for me was we always knew that people were coming up north to where I lived to come hunting. So it was always interesting to meet those people as they came up north. You know, we'd go into the bars or the local, you know, way, way areas and we'd meet all these different people from the city. And it was always interesting to hear that was the, that was the biggest part of their year was coming up north to go hunting. I mean, it was what they all look forward to all year long. It was so cool. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing about Minnesota. It's, and we still hold on to a lot of that whole concept of going up north. Um, and that's that's really where people went to hunt back in the day. Now we're lucky enough that wildlife populations have expanded more and we've got more statewide quality hunting with deer and turkeys and upland birds and whatnot. But uh back then and for the longest time it was it was all about heading on ninety four or thirty five and you yep. know, going up north. So when you were when you were growing up, your uncles were the ones who kind of introduced you to hunting in a sense how did they do that what you know what was that like and and what what age were you well from from probably about the age of five to seven is when I can first remember just seeing them you know 
bringing their bow inside and, and outside and going out and shooting. And I just see their equipment coming and going. I started asking them questions. And then frankly, I just started nagging on them and kind of pulling on their shirt tails and just asking them more questions, asking them to bring me along. And it started out with just simple nature walks with my grandma to my uncle allowing me to come and sit in the bow stand while he bow hunted and just observe everything before I was even legal age to hunt by myself. So that was probably around the age of probably eight or nine. And then I think the first year I hunted, I was about 10, uh, hunted alongside one of my uncles. And then of course in Minnesota, you can legally start hunting by yourself when you're 12. So like when you started out, like tell me a little bit about when you first started hunting, you know, what you know, what did you start hunting first? I mean, obviously deer hunting's big in Minnesota, turkey hunting, bear hunting was big when I was growing up. I, don't, I think it's still kind of big there. Um, you know, and then we have your small game, you know, I, I started out on rabbits and squirrel a lot. You know, what, you know, what did you start out on? So that's a, that's a funny topic for me because I always envy, there's so many different stories of guys who hunt, who grew up hunting small game because they could just go out their back door and shoot rabbits and squirrels and you know, starlings or whatever it might be. And I didn't have those opportunities living in the city. You know, you can't, you can't even shoot a pellet gun in your backyard. So anytime I wanted to do anything like that, I had to get out of town. And so my first opportunity to, to carry a firearm or carry a a hunting tool and get out there was to deer hunt. And, uh, I ended up doing that. And, um, the first deer I shot was a, a buck fawn and, I'll definitely never forget that. And, um, that really, those moments of, of that deer hunt did a lot of different things for me. Um, my great uncle was there and they all kind of met me out in the woods and we all walked up to my first deer and he handed me the knife and essentially just told me to get to it. And I looked at him with this terrified look, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> And he guided me through it, you know, and it was the the big thing about my family, our farm in central Minnesota is actually somewhat in the neighborhood of, of where your family's place is, as far as I know. Yep. We've talked about that in the past. I know. Yeah. So that, that farm is, is a big deal to us because we've had it since the, since people started emigrating to Minnesota from different countries and my family's originations were from Sweden. So they, they hopped on a boat and um, made their way all the way to Minnesota to some of the worst country ever to farm with all the rocks and everything. But for some reason that's where they pitched their camp and our farm is still there today. And that's where I grew up deer hunting. So when you started hunting there, you know, what, what was it like? I mean, you were deer hunting. I mean, was it open fields or what was it like uh, corn and, and beans or, you know, or was it hardwoods where you were at? Cause it's kind of diverse in that area. Yeah, it is. It is. There's actually a lot of ecological diversity in that area. You got prairies, you got swamps, hardwoods, you got agriculture, and that's our property where we did most of our hunting was a combination of all those things. So uh, most of the hunting is done in the hardwoods from a tree stand, and uh, it's a slug zone. So I grew up. I've killed most of my whitetails with a with a rifled slug gun, um, but the the big thing for me was right from the get-go our our family centered around the meat pole so you know that first buck fawn i killed 
there was there was no second thought about the fact that it was a younger deer or that it didn't have antlers or any of those things it was it was my it was my great uncle handing me a knife and it was me helping him get that deer back to the the farm where we could remove its skin and turn it into meat and that's something that was impressed on me immediately and it's never left I'd, i have to say that it was kind of the same for me i mean obviously we're hunting because it was fun and we enjoyed it and there was adventure there was so there, there was a lot a lot of areas that we really enjoyed but it was always that big treat to you know whether it was a big buck or a small doe or a little buck whatever it was it was a treat to to, to kill that animal and bring that animal and harvest the meat and enjoy that meat and, and fill our freezers with that meat. Essentially, you know, that was a, that was a big deal. And, you know, we, I think today we take that for granted. I mean, yeah, you can go to the store and you can, and you can buy meat at the store or whatever, but you still are connected to whatever that meat is. I mean, that, that meat was killed in some way. I like to know which way my meat was killed. So, and and if I'm the one doing it or a friend's doing it and donating or giving that meat to me, I feel so much better inside knowing that. Yeah, it's, I'm the same way. It's gotten to the point where it's, it's actually very difficult for me to, to eat something that hasn't been taken by my own hands or by a friend's. And I don't just say that for, for shock value. I don't say it to try to prove a point. It's just, I've become so comfortable and accustomed to that, that for me, the other way around is strange. I mean, mystery meat, no matter where it's from, is just a, a bizarre thought to me. And with that, my flavor, my palate has really developed so that anything that, that doesn't taste like venison or wild turkey or elk, I mean, the beefs, the porks, all that, they just sort of have a, an off taste to me most of the time. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of that just has a, has to do with the way that they were raised, the way that they're butchered and, you know, how much time they spent on the shelf and this and that. So kind of with this upbringing, you, you turn this idea, you know, the, the meat pole idea and and the, you know, killing your own food idea into kind of a web series or an online hunting show of sorts, you know, called the hunger. Tell me a little bit about that idea, you know, and obviously you can go in more, more in depth about, you know, where that idea came from. Yeah, so it is a it is a web series. Um, we primarily run it at scoutlookweather.com and then um, YouTube and also on a Facebook page. But the the genesis of that series ca- came from those moments that I was talking about growing up and learning that appreciation and admiration and respect for animals and the meat that they can pr- provide through hunting and just that entire experience. And it's, it's something that I frankly believe that, um, evolutionarily everybody's a hunter. It's just that sort of like a dominant or recessive gene. It just comes out more in some people and with others, it has to be brought to the surface. There might be people who are really born to hunt that never get an opportunity, but when they do, it's just like a light switch goes on and some of those people who I've met are some of the best hunters I know. And it's just something that was dormant in them that was waiting to be reignited. So this whole concept with the hunger, really the actual concept and fleshing it out started about six years ago when I still worked for North American Hunter magazine. And I just, I saw a lot of things that were going on at the time 
um, and I know beliefs that you have as well, just about the way that a lot of hunters were at least on a, on a public level representing themselves and more of a massive scale, like within the media and whatnot and television. And I just felt that there was just way too much, way too much ego and machoism and all those types of things going on. Um, a focus around trophies and this and that. And I have absolutely zero, zero issue with any form of hunting, but I just felt like somebody needed to, to help level the playing field a little bit. And I wanted to be a part of that. And what I mean by level the playing field is show some of the other aspects that really, no matter what type of hunter you are, that's at the core of it. I mean, the experience, the meat that you're going to ultimately put on the table, all those powerful things that we get to experience and witness as hunters. And I, I just didn't feel that enough people were showing those aspects of it. And I felt like perhaps a lot of people who might want to get involved or were on the fence didn't, didn't appreciate the light that it was being put in. I have to agree with you on that. You know, I've, I'm kind of come to the same place in my life after being in in the industry for about 10 years and starting to fall into that mindset myself, started to look around and say and see that, you know, it's really not about big bucks. You know, it's great if you kill a big buck or kill a nice, nice animal or, or, you know, a trophy, trophy bowl or whatever it is, or you limit out on, on your ducks and geese, whatever. That's great. You know, and, and, and we hope that happens, you know, but the emphasis on that has become too strong, in my opinion. It's become too much. You know, there's so many new hunters that want to get into the sport, and they see that, and then that doesn't happen for them, and then they're degraded, or they feel like they're not as good, which is totally not true. That's not what it's about. I agree. You really you really just said that uh, in the right way. Um, it's, it's about the emphasis, all right? All of us admire a long beard on a turkey or a huge rack on a, on a whitetail or an elk or a mule deer. People have been fascinated with those aspects of, of male game animals for as long as humans have hunted. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why there was cave paintings with animals with big antlers and things like that. It's, it's something that is something it's their aspects to admire and they enthrall humans and they always have, and they always will. And they, I've got, I'm looking at some deer on my wall right now, but I'm also looking over in the corner where my freezer is sitting. And then the two other freezers downstairs that are full of meat that I get to enjoy every single day of the week. Just like I, I can walk by and I can remember the hunt by looking at those beautiful animals on the wall, but I sure remember that hunt even better when I taste them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's all part of, it's all a trophy experience in my opinion. It's, it's all part of the experience. It's all what we live for. It's all what, you know, the tradition is about and kind of getting back to the industry side of things, you know, the listeners probably aren't part of the industry, but for us being part of the industry, we start to see that ego and the emphasis so much on, you know, you're not, you don't have the best show or you're not the best, you know, whatever so-called celebrity in the industry because you're not killing the biggest deer or, or whatever. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with killing big deer or, or, you know, doing that like, like we've talked about. But I think that if those people started to talk about, you know, the other side of, uh, you know, the true side of why we got into hunting, you know, I think that that would bring more people into, into hunting 
and it would help the people that are just getting into hunting or maybe just trying it for the first time understand that, Hey, you are good enough. Keep hunting. You know, it might take you seven years to kill an animal, but that's not what it's about. Yeah, exactly. I, I believe firmly that as a hunter, the, the experiences we get to have and the way that we, the filter through which we put everything in the world is at its purest form and it makes us the best human being that we can be because we have a appreciation for the most simplistic aspects of life. I mean, looking out my window right now, you know, I'm lucky to have a lot of trees in my neighborhood. It's a, it's a suburban area, but there's a lot of trees. There's a lot of vegetation. I know a lot of people drive by this stuff every single day and they don't even know it's there. They don't even notice it. They're just like, Oh, it's a tree. But to me, I look out there and I'm really, I, I appreciate that there's a, a maple tree out blown in the wind and leaves are falling off it and changing colors in the fall. It's, it's a big part of my day-to-day existence to, to be able to notice and recognize those things and realize that, hey, I might be having a bad day, but this is a pretty beautiful place, this rock that we live on. And that's because of hunting. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and let's talk about you know, let's talk a little bit about getting started in hunting. And, you know, you kind of shared the example that you had, you know, for getting started in hunting that was laid out by, you know, your, your family for you, you know, what would you suggest to new hunters or, or guys who are just getting started or women who are, who are just getting started, you know, how, how, how should they get started in hunting? You know, honestly, I think, um, no matter where you live, even if you're in New York city, everybody's just a real short drive away from being able to get out there. And I think that's the first thing that you need to do is just put on a pair of boots, go find a trail somewhere and just blaze down it and get out there and start, start conditioning yourself to recognize nature and learn about the basic aspects of it. You don't need to go out there and shoot a rifle. You don't need to go shoot a bow You don't need to learn about the ins and outs of game animals, none of that stuff. Just get out there, get out in a natural environment, whether it's the woods or a prairie or the mountains, and just spend some time in the environment that those animals live in where you might ultimately be hunting and just start just becoming aware of your surroundings. I think that's the easiest way to really take in that breath of fresh air and realize why you're going to want to be out there. Man, I think I think that's some that's some great advice. Sometimes we start to forget about that and we we lose track of that even you know as hunters already. You know, we lose track of that part of it and it's so important to remember that and you know remember those early morning sunrises, remember the the dust on the trail, you know, whatever it is, you know, those little things are really the big big part of the whole hunt and the whole experience. It, it is and anybody can afford that, all right? You don't need knowledge you don't need really any money you just need a place to go and go out there and start soaking it up i have a great example i was with my girlfriend the other day and she didn't really grow up around much outdoors if you will and we were just going on a simple walk down a trail right here within town that happens to be right up against a a small stream that i i heard has some trout in it so that's why i was trying to uh get her to walk out there with me to take a look. She thought we were just going on a walk to hold hands, but I was scouting trout. Yeah, you were, you were on a scouting trip. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so 
we're walking down this path and I must've stopped six different times to point things out that she, she had no idea was there because she's never, she's never been opened up to that side of, of nature. So for instance, there was one spot where there was a turkey track. There was another spot where there was a, a dust bowl where a turkey had taken a bath. There was some deer tracks. There was some coyote tracks. There was some coyote scat. There was a, some kind of songbird that flew by that name. I don't remember what it was right now, but every time I did that, she looked at it and it was like this light bulb went on and she looked at me and she was like, really? That's what that is. And so anybody can go out there. You can, you can start to look at things at a little bit deeper level and, and you're going to see the, the splendor and the mystery of all these things that are out there that we get to witness every single time we hunt. But the beauty of hunting is, at the end of the day, you have an objective. So you're, you're constantly chasing something. So you're not just going out there for a nature walk. You, you have a tangible goal, and that is to harvest an animal that you're probably going to be able to eat for the rest of the year. So once they get past this point and they, and they get to that point where, you know, they want to make that transition into, you know, getting some hunting gear, or getting a gun or a bow, you know, what, what's that transition look like to, in your opinion? You know, I would say... I would say the first thing is to, to be realistic and set realistic expectations. So first you need to coming into it brand new. You don't, you don't know what those realistic expectations even are for making a progression. And as we just discussed a little while ago, don't turn on your TV and and try to get that realistic expectation because you're probably not going to find it you're going to see somebody who goes out and it looks like they went out there for an hour and killed a 170 inch whitetail that weighed 250 pounds. But there's a lot, there's probably 90% of whitetail hunters or more. will never, we'll never even see an animal like that. So you need to know what's, what's a realistic expectation. And, uh, I think the best way to do that is to, to have some conversations with people and use social media for for something good and positive and and just start interacting with people and asking questions because i can promise you there's plenty of plenty of hunters out there who want to share their knowledge absolutely and that's a big part of what i'm doing with activate the hunt we also have a facebook kind of a private facebook group that i've started and it's kind of the digital campfire area and it's going to be an area of value to hunters and to um new hunters, you know, where I'm going to have mentors and hunters there to answer questions for people who are just getting started and help them get in this process and then share stories and information around that. Yeah. And, and to prove that no question is stupid. Um, anybody who does have a question, what you're going to find is when you ask folks to weigh in, you're going to get a lot of different answers. So that, that in itself proves that no question is stupid because that's the that's one of the beauties of of hunting and enjoying that aspect of the outdoor lifestyle is everybody gets to view it through their own lens all right there are some finite things like rules and regulations and different things with technical aspects of gear but when it comes to the experience and how to go about things it's everybody has their own lens that they view that through and none of it's wrong. It's, it's all a matter of just 
you know, you communicate with enough people and you're going to start to flesh out and learn, okay, that's what I want to take from this experience. I don't necessarily want to do this or that or the other thing, but Hey, what that guy just said sounds pretty damn cool. Maybe I want to, maybe I want to try that. Maybe I want to go on an antelope hunt in Montana. Maybe I want to go hunt grouse in Northern Minnesota because I can walk some cool trails and catch some walleyes while I'm there and, and maybe check out some cool attraction that's in the area that I heard about. It's, it's all about how you want to utilize that, that hunting experience and lifestyle as a, a vehicle to enjoy life. We all have our own journey, you know, in, in, in life and in hunting. So, you know, kind of follow your nose and find your own journey. Don't, you don't have to follow what others are doing or you don't have to, you know, compare yourself to others. You know, it, it's always good to, you know, find those, you know, guys who are really good at hunting or are the elite guys out there and, and try to learn from them because they're the best of the best, but make your own path, make your own way and do what feels good to you. I think that's, I think that's a big tip that anybody, even myself needs to start to follow more. Going off of that as well, you know, again, I, hopefully it didn't come across wrong the way that we were putting it earlier, but if you get into the sport or the lifestyle and you realize, you know what, I really want to kill a large mature whitetail with big antlers. That's, that's what I want to do. Then that is awesome. That's, yeah. that's the goal that you're striving for. If you say, Hey, I want to just go kill a doe every year. And I only have one weekend a year to do it. Cause I'm a busy guy with a family, but I still want to hunt and put some meat in the freezer. Then go do that. If you want to go shoot some ducks because you like wing shooting, go do that. We're all one big community at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter how you like to go about it, whether you want it to be physical, whether you want it to be easy, none of that matters. It matters what's going to make you happy and what's going to allow you to, to connect with the outdoors through hunting. All right, we're going to take a quick break. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we will announce the winners of the Instagram giveaway. First off, I want to say thank you to Bowhunter Box Club and Acubo for your partnership on this giveaway and your support of Activate the Hunt podcast. I truly appreciate it. And I suggest that all of you check out what those companies have to offer. Now, for our lucky winners. I drew these names just minutes ago as I was preparing to record this part of the show. Our Acubo winner is at EliteArcher52. Our Bowhunter Box Club winner number one is at She Hunts Kansas. Bowhunter Box Club winner two is at Bowhunter Derek. And Bowhunter Box Club winner number three is at Courtney.Ogden. And the $25 Bass Pro gift card winner is at Hunting Chef. If you're a winner, send me an email at activatethehunt.com forward slash contact, and I will get you taken care of right away. Thanks to all of you who entered. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and be on the lookout for more giveaways soon. Now, back to the show. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of go into, um, you know, a little bit about your hunts with, you know, with your web series, The Hunger. You know, you get to hunt all over with this series, you know, and I know that's not by accident. You've, you've put your hard work and time into, you know, into finding these places to hunt, whether it's an outfitter or it's private ground or whatever it is, you know, I know you hunt all over the place, you know, how do you, how do you find new places to hunt and, you know, and, and then continue to have success in those places? Well, uh, every, every trip is different and is planned differently and is, is conceived differently. A lot of it just comes from 
again, that sense of community and, and talking to people and hearing stories and saying, you know what, I think I could really, really enjoy that hunt. I want to figure out how I can either do that same hunt or one just like it. Um, a great example is I've got a friend in Wyoming who also happens to be in the industry. His name's Mark Kaiser. And he told me about this great walk-in area that he's got essentially in his backyard of his, of his, uh, ranch out there. It's public ground. And he told me about how the, the mule deer migrate in there starting at the end of October, at the end of the gun season there. And he had told me about that probably six years ago, and he had mentioned it a few other times. And it's just one of those deals where he's hunted it so much that he's kind of burnt out on it, and he's, he travels to other spots to spend his time. But that was always a seed planted in my head. So I talked to Mark. I visited the Wyoming Game and Fish website. I got the proper permits. I did some aerial research with maps through Scout Look and planned my hunt with a lot of online resources. Then I went out there essentially blind and spent time on the ground just learning the animals and and plotting my strategy and trying to figure out how I could kill a pronghorn and a mule deer in the same trip. And, and fortunately within five days, I was able to get both. And that was on ground that you or I or anybody else can walk onto publicly accessible, great chunk of dirt. We've got that everywhere. Do you typically kind of lay out a timeline of what, you know, how long you want to spend out there on a hunt? So because of the, the nature of the series and, and um, also doing you know, I've, I've got hunts that I do for the series. I've got hunts that I do maybe for some magazines that I write for. And then I've got personal hunts where it's just, I barely even want to bring a camera with. I just want to spend time with my family and friends. Um, with all these, I, I try to fit as much into one season as I can. So all of them are very, very distinctly planned. And it's, when you when you do that much, it can become a logistical nightmare because we're talking about flights and ground transportation and figuring out if you need to haul a, a UTV or an ATV and hotels and weather and all these different things. Um, that's the, the one downside of, of going at it super hard is that you really need to be focused and dedicated to make sure that there aren't any major bumps in the road. Now, once you obviously you put your time and put your hard work in and, and made a kill, you know, talk about, you know, handling that meat afterwards. So game care to me and, and handling an animal properly is it stands above all else in the hunt because that's the moment when things get real and you really need to go to work and make sure that you don't, you don't ruin the whole reason you're out there. And it's very easy to do. Um, now, what I like to something I like to bring to people's attention is to think about it really from a, I guess a biological level, if you want to call it that, of what's actually happening when you kill something. All right, you shoot an animal, and even assuming you made a good shot, immediately that blood is no longer circulating throughout that animal. So. In reality, what's happening is, no matter what it is, whether it's a, a pheasant or a deer or a wild hog or an antelope, that animal immediately starts deteriorating and, and essentially rotting. So 
it's very important to cool it because otherwise what you're going to get, even if you didn't make a bad shot in the guts or something, you're going to get this permeation of the gases inside the animal that's going to start to filter slowly into the meat because the body, the body's no longer regulating all that. So a lot of people will say, oh yeah, that, that animal tasted gamey or something didn't taste right about that or this or that. Well, that's what's, that's what's usually happening is the gases within that animal are permeating into the meat because you didn't get the skin off fast enough. You didn't remove the guts fast enough. You didn't cool the animal fast enough. And you didn't, you didn't process that meat the way that you need to. And that's weather pending. It needs to be done in haste. Is there some equipment that you use typically, you know, to make sure that you get this kind of stuff done in a timely fashion? So a number one is, is removing that animal's guts and skin, um, the guts so that the gases and the nastiness won't permeate into the meat and the skin so that the meat can begin to cool. Now, the beauty is, and, and some people might kind of balk at this a little bit, the beauty is once you've got that done, I have found now the, um, the FDA or some other regulatory bodies might not appreciate me saying this, but once that, once that skin is off and that meat is exposed and cooling down, you can get away with quite a bit. Um, you know, it's uh, the wild turkey is a perfect example. Um, there, there's certain animals I find that are not as susceptible to going bad as fast. Now, the turkey can sit for a while. Even a deer can sit for a decent amount of time. Uh, an animal like an antelope, for whatever reason, I don't know what the answer is or why it happens, but an antelope. Is a, is a great example of a big game animal that you need to get that skin off and those guts out immediately after you kill it. For some reason, they're more susceptible to that permeation and that, that transformation in their meat that gives it an off flavor. And that's why you, they get such a bad rap. And it's, it's because of jackholes who shoot them and then drive them around on the, the bed of their pickup truck and they don't get that skin off. It's so, you know, just a, uh, a small, a small knife, a lot of the replaceable blade knives these days are real popular because they're razor sharp and it makes your work a lot easier. Um, some of those, you know, they definitely are, are good, but I'm kind of old school in the regard that the idea of continually throwing away blades bothers me a little bit because you could resharpen your knife and you're not creating all that additional waste. But at the same time, there sure is nothing like working with the scalpel edge of a knife on an animal. It's a beautiful thing to, to go to work. It's like an art working on an animal with a sharp knife. Totally. You know, for somebody especially who's starting, you're going to run into all sorts of gadgets and different types of knives and this and that and specialty knives. And as you get more into it, yeah, you can start using some of that stuff and it, it'll make your life easier. But if you're looking to just start out, a knife with a a three or four inch blade with a, a decent style of curve on it that's kept sharp you can get just about everything done from the field to the table with a knife like that now once you once you obviously have that meat off the animal you want to get that cooled down as quick as possible you know i i know there's a lot of guys using these high-end coolers out there i mean i do too and i think that's a great thing but 
you know, I, I think, you know, just talk a little bit about just getting it cooled off and, and what you should do after that. You know, how, I mean, obviously for you, you, you're on a long trip, you know, how do you maintain that meat to keep it cool? So, um, you, you definitely want to, you do want to get it off the bone. It's all about surface area and density. So a, a thicker cut of meat is obviously going to take a longer time to cool down. If you've got a bone on something, it's probably going to take a longer time to cool down. So as soon as you can debone that meat and get it so that it's not all stacked up on itself and get it in a cooler, you're going to be good to go. Um, the beauty of the high-performance coolers is that they will hold ice longer than a less expensive cooler, generally speaking. And if you're doing some travel or if you got back-to-back hunts or something like that, I can't count the number of times where a good high-quality cooler has saved me because uh, there'll be times where I'll, I'll go from one hunt to the next and I'm not going home in between. And I'll literally leave a butchered deer in my cooler for up to five days on the same ice. And I don't have to worry about it. That's the beauty of, of that is you don't have to worry. You know, you're going to get home and you can finish packaging and freezing the animal. But in the meantime, it's not going to go bad while you're, you're out trying to focus on something else. Now, I know this is your favorite part. Once, once you bring that animal home and you've got it packaged up and, and put in your freezer and you get a chance, you know, for a meal, you know, what's, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, some of your favorite game animals to eat. You know, and maybe even go into, uh, you know, maybe one of your favorite ways to prepare an animal. Oh, dude, this is, this is dangerous territory for you to, <laughs> to get me into. We might, this might be a two-part podcast here. <laughs> well, um, first of all, I, I really, the, I think with the right tools and a sharp knife, butchering an animal from start to finish, uh, especially once you get the animal down to the point where you're going to turn it into steaks and burger and the the final products, if you will, it's really a, it should be a fun process. You shouldn't look at it as a job. You should be able to take your time, do it in a controlled, clean environment, use the right stuff and enjoy yourself while you're doing it. Because if you, if you do that and you take a moment to reflect on what exactly you're accomplishing, you you remember why you went through everything that you did to bring that animal home. And uh, so for me, it starts with producing all my cuts. And you can produce your cuts like a butcher, and you can follow a chart, and you can cut all the meat according to, you know, different defined cuts, if you will. But what I like to do is I like to cut my meat how I know I'm going to cook it. So I'll literally, I'll cut it for specific meals that I have in mind in the future, and then I'll label it as such. So I'll put in a, a small bag of, uh, let's say, uh, a mule deer's hindquarter that I cut into tiny strips. I'll put that in a little vacuum-sealed bag, and I'll write mule deer stir-fry on the bag with a permanent marker. So I can pull it out and be like, oh, I want to make some stir-fry tonight. It's not just some bag with a, a date on it that says mule deer. And I'm like, oh, well, what is all this red stuff in here? You know, so, so there's that, but then when it comes to cooking it, um, you know, it's, I'm glad that a lot of people are finally starting to to have this topic of conversation, but wild game is certainly not as forgiving as, as farmed or domestically raised animals just simply because of the fat content. And that's, that's where people get in a pickle. 
And uh, when it comes to red meat, deer and elk and antelope and even ducks and geese, there is something to be said about aging that meat. And a lot of people don't have the setup to age meat uh, by hanging it in a cooler while the, while the meat is still on the carcass at the right temperature. So easiest way to do that is to just literally keep your cut of meat in your fridge for five days before you cook it. And you will be astonished. You take one piece of meat off the same animal, cook it with no aging, and then take that same piece, same, same cut of meat, if you will, from that same animal, let it sit in your fridge for five days, and then cook it. The tissues start to break down. It becomes more tender, and it takes on a, it takes on a, a more rich and robust flavor that you get out of just like a dry-aged uh, beef steak that you could buy from a, a high-end grocery store. What, what is your favorite game animal to eat then? And, and what would be one of your favorite recipes? Oh man. Well, um, I'm anybody who knows me knows I'm very partial to wild turkeys. I'm an obsessed turkey hunter. And how many did you kill this last year? Well, this, this year was kind of pathetic. I only killed two last year. I was fortunate to put 11 in the freezer. Yeah. That's awesome, man. But the thing about wild turkeys is they're inexpensive to hunt. They're super accessible. There's a ton of birds now, thanks to efforts of individuals and the National Wild Turkey Federation and just conservation as a whole. But also, a turkey is so easy to clean, and you can cook it in so many different ways, and it doesn't take up a lot of freezer space. So um, with a turkey, one of my favorite ways to cook a, a wild turkey is to take the meat. Uh, this is a trick I learned at a, uh, while I was hunting Osceola turkeys in Florida. You, you take the meat, you cube it up, you put it in a plastic bag with pickle juice from a jar of dill pickles or whatever flavor of pickles you like. Let it sit for at least four hours and then um, pan fry it with whatever your favorite type of breading is. And that, that pickle juice and that vinegar works into that meat very quickly so A, it helps to tenderize it because it's an acid. And B, man, if you like if you like the taste of pickles, that you're gonna fall in love with this because you get that that pickle flavor in the meat, and there's just about nothing better if you crack a cold beer, have some crackers and, mm. and eat that pickled turkey. Man, I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> I'm getting really hungry. It's it, it's a legit easy recipe. No, and, and I know you have a lot of content out there, Josh, as a writer, and and, and a lot of content within your, your your videos, and we'll link up to that, you know, from our show notes on the website, so everybody will be able to link back and and find some of your tips and more information that um you put out there. So I'll make sure to link that up. As we finish up here today, you know, I've I've got a couple of additional questions I typically like to ask all my guests, and the first question it's a pretty simple one, but it's different for everyone. Why do you hunt? You know, this is uh, this is pretty personal for me, but I'll just throw it out there. Um, honestly, I believe that hunting saved my life. Uh, I was I was raised by young parents, and um, things got relatively volatile throughout when I was growing up. And I, I truly believe that being being shown that that peacefulness and just that 
serene experience that you can get by simply being in the outdoors. Um, being shown that I think prevented me from going down the wrong path. Uh, there's no telling where I would have ended up if it wouldn't have been for that. And so for me, I hunt because it, it keeps me straight. It keeps me level, keeps my head on straight. And it just allows me to appreciate, appreciate all the small things that so many people overlook. Man, that's deep. That's, that's, that's probably one of the best, uh, best answers I've had thus far. I mean, they're all good answers, but man, that can't go wrong with that one. That's a good one. Where, where can our, where can the listeners connect with you? Uh, you could, you could check it out. Check me out on, uh, Instagram at, uh, the hunger underscore series. Um, otherwise you can just Google the hunger and put it with uh, hunting or something like that. And you'll find it. Otherwise you can find the hunger on Facebook and also, uh, my full-time gig, which the hunger actually falls under is with scoutlookweather.com. We're, uh, an online and mobile app based, um, weather forecast service for hunters and fishermen. Excellent. Excellent. And like I said, I'll, I'll link that all up in the show notes and everybody will be able to, uh, connect back to scout look and, and the hunger and, and yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to mention quick before we, uh, finish up? Well, uh, the only th- other thing I, I guess I'd probably like to mention related to, uh, everything we've talked about in the hunger is, you know, when it comes to hunting, I, I appreciate the fact that there's this big movement going on for the past several years related to eating organic and locally grown food and the whole food movement that's going on. And I firmly believe that if people don't really start to pay attention to where their food is coming from, and the the best way to do that is through hunting, but frankly, the whole world needs to eat. There's no way that everybody on the planet could ever hunt the, the planet and the resources wouldn't support that. But by every individual just paying attention to where their food is coming from. I think you're, I think you're going to save us from what could be a disaster because the moment people stop caring about the land and the resources, which ultimately equate to the ground that the ground and the dirt that people farm on to produce food for the world. I think uh, if we don't show an appreciation and respect for that, then, then publicly and politically, we might make it, we might start making some, pretty detrimental decisions to our environment that are really going to impact something as simple as sitting down and eating dinner. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time today and I appreciate all the tips and the information that you've provided. I think this is going to be a valuable podcast for, for the listeners and I encourage them to go connect with you after, after they listen to this, because I think that you're going to be a big help to others that are just getting into hunting or have hunting related questions. Uh, thanks again, man. Appreciate your time today. Thank you and everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview today with Josh. I encourage you to go to the show notes at activatethehunt.com forward slash 003 and find the link for Josh's online hunting show, The Hunger. You will see the passion he has for creating content that is focused on the true, authentic benefits and connections of his hunting lifestyle. Finally, if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to hit subscribe. I would also appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and review. This will help other hunters that are looking for hunting information find this podcast. As always, we will be back next Wednesday with a new interview. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Activate the Hunt Podcast. 
For additional information about this podcast, the show notes, hunting articles, and more, visit www.activatethehunt.com.